Greetings, friends. This is Brian Hudson. Welcome to Conversations in Focus here on Vision Stream Network. Our program concept is very simple. I want to bring people who are making an impact in our community and in God's kingdom. And I have a guest today who is doing exactly that and has done so for over three decades. I'm talking about Ophelia Wellington, founder of Freetown Village Living History Museum. She established the institution of Freetown Village in 1982. Freetown Village has been a living history museum that educates the public about African-American life in Indiana through living history, exhibits, and allied programs. Ophelia Wellington is a treasure in our community, and we appreciate her contributions to our culture, to African-American uh, people, and to all people. So I'm glad to have her here on Conversations in Focus. Welcome, Ophelia. Thank you. All right. It's great to have you. I look forward to this conversation for some time. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, our viewers don't know, but I'm a longtime Village member. I had the honor of designing the first logo way yes. back in the day. In yes. fact, a piece of that design is still in the still, current logo. We keep yes. that, yes. So I think that uh, that speaks to the legacy and the relevance of Freetown Village here today. Let me ask you the first question. What is Freetown Village and why did you start it? I'm not sure why I started it, other than I felt that it was a good way of teaching history. And Freetown Village is a living history museum that educates the public about African American history and culture. And we do that primarily through the performing arts. So we'll use um, theater, storytelling, music, uh, workshops, special events to teach history. And we tour. So it's not a destination yet. Mm -hmm. I say yet because it has always been the plan. But we tour throughout the state, basically throughout the Midwest, with one of our numbers of programs. We have over 15 different programs. And each one can stand alone and present, whether it's a half an hour show or an hour show, or we have some full-length productions. So it's teaching history. And we believe that by showing people history, they're more likely to get it, participate in it, and understand it. And you ask, why did I start Freetown Village? Well, as a former educator, I always believe education is important. And this was back when IPS, I was teaching in IPS, and they started the busing, and many of us got rift. We lost our jobs. But at that point, I was really beginning to wonder, is this what I really want to do for the rest of my life? I had studied for high school with the ambitions of teaching college, but when I moved to Indianapolis, I got middle school. And I was, I did not feel prepared to teach middle school, and that was not my dream. But I was thinking, gosh, I don't want to do this. Then I got rift, and I really started praying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I started reading the Bible. This was a year that I was determined to read the Bible all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And I, as I read it, I understood more about history and where God is talking about um, teach your children their history so they will know who they are and they will know that I am God. And I thought, hmm, that's in there a lot in the Old Testament. And I began to think back on us as a people, many of us don't know our history. And I thought, well, how do we get to know our history? There are some books, matter of fact, there are quite a few books about our history, 
but most people will not sit, read, and remember all of what they read. But I thought, you know, hmm, when I was in the classroom and I was dealing with difficult subjects or complicated subjects, I should say, I tried to get the students to participate more in the learning, to create some type of activity or workshop where they could experience it. So I thought, you know what? I bet if I put on a costume and I created an environment and I had this knowledge in my head, I could teach history in more of an engaging way. And that's really how I started it. Not a clueless that there were things called Living History Museum because I had never been to one. Mm-hmm. But I just felt so strongly that this would be a unique way of teaching our history and our culture in a way that was engaging, personable, and memorable. And it's interesting that you, you talk about doing performances, and I know that there's a great oral tradition mm-hmm. in African-American history. So I believe you're, through Freetown, you're carrying forward that oral, oral tradition in the performing arts as well. Now, what is unique about Freetown? Because you mentioned Living History Museum. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Well, Living History is we research history. We want to make sure we have the facts. And instead of reciting the facts, We show you the facts. So we would create a character. Uh, Let's say we're talking about churches or religion, organized uh, churches. Well, we can talk about first African-American church was in such and such and such and such. And in education, we know that we remember maybe 10% of what we hear, but about 90% of what we experience. So it's creating that experience. So to talk about the church, we would create a character who knows about it, who could talk about it from a personal point of view. That depends on the time period. Um, as a character, they have on a clothing that's appropriate to that time period. Their continence, you have to keep that into consideration. What was a minister like in a community Our first time period that I chose was 1870. And so you say, why 1870? Because it was five years after the end of the Civil War when a lot of our communities were starting. People were migrating from the South, establishing their own communities. A lot of the HBCUs were starting in the 1860s and 70s. People were moving from that plantation life to establish their own independence. We had blacks who were running for political office and running and winning. winning. Mm-hmm. And the churches, the schools, the economic development, that was happening for us right after the Civil War. And I always say when I'm talking sometimes about if you've ever been in a bind, you've ever been in a bad place, you probably prayed and said, Lord, if you ever get me out of this, I'll... And that's what a lot of the former slaves said. Mm -hmm. And when they were finally emancipated, many of them went, you know, full speed ahead to establish their own independence. And that continued for a short season Mm -hmm. when the former slave owners decided if they didn't do something big, that they would be left behind. And so they did what they could to destroy those communities and the people and those industries to keep control of the former enslaved people. But those are the stories that we tell, and we tell them in a way that the history is not on the paper. Mm. It's through a person. Yes. And as a person, as I always say, even as a teacher, 
if you do the research, you have information. So if any of your students ask you a question, you can either answer with information or say, you know, I don't know. We'll have to get back with you on that or give an assignment. Okay, let's all, you know, resolve that and find out the answer. So we do that in living history. The people that I train, we call interpreters. And as a first-person interpreter, you are the person in whatever time period that you are telling the story. And that's our interpretation uh, form of choice. Because if I am portraying, and my first character that I portrayed was a school teacher. <laughs> Where did that come from? Well, I had been teaching, so I was most more familiar with um, being a teacher. So that was a character, the first character that I portrayed. So again, it was comfort for me to portray that character, but knowing that I could manage a classroom, I could certainly manage an audience. And when I first started it, I went to the theater people to ask for their advice because they were professionals. And they told me, Ophelia, it'll never work. You can't, you can't um, predict what the audience is going to say. You have to have it scripted. You can't open it up for the audience to participate. I thought, okay. So our very first show, I went with their advice. And I was so bored my own self, I couldn't wait for it to be over with. And then after that, I said, thank you. I'll take it from here. So in theater, you call that the fourth wall. And if you've ever seen a, tr- a traditional theater production, you as the audience are sitting, the, the actors are on stage, and there's no eye contact. They're interacting among themselves, and you're sitting there by yourself or whomever you came with. But in Freetown Village, when we break the fourth wall, we see the people, we talk to the people, and sometimes we ask them to do certain things. Well, people who are used to traditional theater like, what's going on here? But after they get into it, they enjoy it because it gives a comfort level. When we talk about black history, a lot of people, you know, the wall goes up. I don't hear about that black stuff. But when they like stories about people. And we are telling people stories, the people that we have chosen to tell are black people. I tell you, it's, it's uh, a performance of Freetown Village is remarkable for that very reason, because the characters in character look up and say sometimes, who are all these people here? You know, and yeah. And, and, or if it's a church service, welcome to our church. And, mm-hmm. and that's the living part of the history where that's the engagement that is not usual at all in a performance. But I think it's more than appropriate and a very engaging method for the audience. And the Freetown performances are wonderful for that reason, in addition to the performance itself. The engagement is, is marvelous. Well, you know, I always get these little testimonies. We were doing a program up north, and uh, during the performance, one of the characters is, entered, is entering from the rear of the performance space. Mm. And that particular character was upset. So the show's going on on stage. This character enters from the back, and he's mumbling and creating a ruckus in the back of the performance space. But people from the audience didn't know, and they were, shh, shh, there's a show going on. (laughs) And then he kept continuing, and they were trying to, to quiet him, but then after a while he got two performers and the actors on stage acknowledged him and brought him on into the performance. But it's so realistic that people don't know. And sometimes we've done programs where we'll have an actor sitting in the audience 
And um, then all of a sudden, it's their cue to, to get up and say something. And people are astonished that, you know, that person sitting next to me was in the sh- I thought they were dressed a little funny, but, you know, people of people. So right. you never know. Yeah, that's that's the experience of Freetown Village. That's why we, we missed the performances. They're coming back at some point. Yes. But that was it's a marvelous experience. Let's talk about Juneteenth. Now, we're past Juneteenth. Uh, we had a conversation about Juneteenth, in which you actually educated me to the fact that all this talk about a holiday is interesting, and Juneteenth is a remarkable day, but something came after Juneteenth that was even more important, 13th Amendment. So mm-hmm. talk about Juneteenth and, and why we do value that day, why we can't stop with the celebration of Juneteenth. I think that it's one thing there's a bigger picture, and that was when Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. He initially issued it in September 1864, given the Southern states 100 days basically to come to their senses and rejoin the Union. 100 days from the September, I think it was September 22nd, was January 1st. And on December 31st is when a lot of the enslaved people watched through the night, praying through the night, that on the next day, uh, January 1st, they would be free. And that was called a watch night, a watch night service. And even today in our, in our culture, a lot of the churches still have watch night they services. Okay. And wow. um, so January 1st, 1865, the people in the enslaved states or the slave states were free. Now, however, the southern states had seceded from the Union they had elected their own president, General Lee, and Lee was perfectly fine with them being slaves. So the only way for those enslaved people to be free is for them to run away. As the Union soldiers advanced throughout the South, they were able to help the slave to be free. But the slave owners were fighting against that because, again, they were the Confederate states. And in the Confederate states, slavery was fine. As the news passed through or traveled throughout the South, those people who heard about it um, left plantations or they worked out some agreement with their former slave owners to be so-called free. But it was basically enforced by Union soldiers. Now, Texas is the farthest uh, slave state west. So it took a little while for the uh, Union soldiers to get to Texas. Again, it was two and a half years later. Mm. So for two and a half years, the slave owners in Texas are getting free labor and nobody's talking. So when General Granger finally arrived in Galveston in uh, June 19th of 1865, um, that's when, wait a minute, I'm getting my, no, 1863 is when the Emancipation Proclamation was um, valid. So two years later, in 1865, mm-hmm. is when um, Granger got to Texas to free the slaves. So they were the last ones to be emancipated. Now, several months later after that is in December of 1865 is when the 13th Amendment was um, passed. And the 13th Amendment legally freed the slaves in all of the states, no matter where they were. So whether it was a slaveholding state or a free state, because even with the Emancipation Proclamation, 
the northern states or the states that did not secede still had legalized slavery. So that included uh, Kentucky and uh, portions of Louisiana, and there, I think it's Virginia, and there's a couple of other areas that still had legalized slavery because they did not secede from the Union. So the, the Juneteenth is a celebration, but it's the emancip- it is the um, 13th Amendment that legally freed the slaves, of the enslaved people. That's an education. Uh, that I did not receive in school. <laughs> yeah, most just, of us did not. I received it just now, okay? Mm-hmm. It's amazing what we have not learned and what we can learn through engagement with Freetown. Now, you also see on the screen a website, freetown.org, and I encourage you to visit the website and learn more about Freetown Village and offer your support. Uh, just stay connected in this very important time. Now, let's talk about programs. Um, I mentioned, you mentioned programs, gave some examples of programs, and right now, I believe, we're, as, we're, as we're filming this late June, summer camp would be going on, uh, but talk about the summer camp experience, and we'll, it'll come back, you know, we know that, mm-hmm. but talk about the experience and how it has helped and empowered young people. We started out with a 10-week summer day camp, and as the school years have changed, We've gone from 10 weeks to nine weeks to seven weeks, and now we're six weeks. It's a summer enrichment program where we teach children about our history and our culture, a lot of hands-on activities and experiences. Uh, We do small group activities, large group, but it's a totally immersive experience. One of the things we do is we teach the children about manners, simple, everyday, common manners. We teach them about about black heroes and heroines, local as well as national. Another story I tell, when we started introducing the black heroes, most of them are the traditional ones. People think about Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, da-da-da-da-da. But those people are dead and been dead. And it's like, hmm... So it's like the kids weren't connecting. They could remember somebody did something, but we wanted to personalize it. So one of the things that we did was um, we highlighted um, Thurgood Marshall, U.S. Supreme Court. Well, locally, we highlighted, um, gosh, I just dropped his name, who's locally on the U.S. Supreme Court. And... um, we invited him to come in to meet the kids who were learning about him. And when the kids saw him and they saw the picture of him, it's like, this person is the same person. He's not dead. He's alive. And it looks like the picture. It was this connection that they began to understand. We're talking about people who live right here in this community. Rucker, Justice Rucker. Justice Rucker. I'm glad I remembered his yes. name. Um, State Supreme Court? or Yeah, Indiana yeah. Uh, Supreme Court. Okay. And um, so we knew we were on to something at that point. But it's about teaching children who live in their community who are doing great things. Uh, we first started out asking our children who were their role models. What did they want to be when they grew up? And of course, most of them were looking at fame and fortune, sports and entertainment. Yes. And we thought, that's great. And some of you may be successful in that. But you're more likely to be a dentist 
or an attorney or an educator or a business owner than you are to be a, a very famous celebrity. So in order for them to meet these people, this is why we are bringing them in. So that's one of the really great elements we do in our summer camp. The other thing is just showing them places in our city that they can go. Uh, we've taken them to different museums and theaters and attractions in Indianapolis that many of them and their parents, we invite the families to come on our field trips that they can see these things are available here in Indianapolis in Marion County. And um, we know a lot of camps will take their the kids um, bowling and, and swimming and um, skating. And those are things that the parents can do. They can find out about those places. But we want to expose them to things that a lot of parents just may not think about yeah, taking their children to. Mm-hmm. So that helps them to understand more about the history and the culture and feel comfortable going outside of their communities to see and experience Indianapolis. But we have, again, a lot. We bring in service providers who have expertise in certain areas to enhance our teachers. And our instructors are all educators. So we're not hiring college kids who need a summer job. We are hiring people who know how to deal with children and to encourage them. And now we have campers who are grown. Some of them have kids of their own, and they talk about their experience at Freetown Village Summer Camp. In fact, I got an email from a former camper just a few days ago, and she has, I think it's a niece or nephew, and she says, please, I need to get them into our summer, your summer camp. But now we're doing the virtual summer camp, yeah. which is totally different because you can't hug the kids and right. you can't get all the little stories about what happened last night and find out about how they're living and so forth. But it's still a small way of trying to connect with their kids and to teach them over the summer. So that's one thing we really have to expand on. We don't know how long this pandemic is going to be around, but we have to adjust. We can't pull back on teaching our history. We have to figure out how to make it more of an experience for them. Yes, we do. We've always risen to challenges as a people. Mm -hmm. So here we go again. Here we go. We're rising to. You mentioned about um, helping young people recognize heroes in their midst. Mm -hmm. That's become a program called Making a Difference, I believe, right? That became Making a Difference. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about that that annual awards recognition program. Well, with our uh, role models, we've done two things. One... We have um, taken an opportunity to partner with another arts organization called Storytelling Arts of Indiana, and we record, we give them an opportunity to record their story. And that story is archived in the Indian Historical Society. And we've used the information to teach the kids about that person. So... It's not very often that you get to sit down and just talk about yourself and you know where you grew up and where did you go to school and what, how did you get to where you are. I think a lot of times children and many people, you see where the person ended up, but how did they get to where they are now? Yes. What challenges did they overcome and what lessons did they learn that they can pass on? So we had that element. We invited the role model into camp for the campus to meet them. And then we thought we needed to acknowledge these people and thank them for sharing their life with our campers. So we had this annual Making a Difference program. And we call it, they're making a difference in the lives of these children. 
now when the children see them, they act like, okay, that's my friend. They don't know you, you know, <laughs> but they feel a relationship. Yes. So it's okay. As they grow up, they may feel that if they need to network with that person, at least they have an opportunity to say, you came to my summer camp. And I remember this, that, and the other about you. And we've had stories of either the campers or the honorees saying, I met one of your campers the other day. They told me about myself because, it's, you know, that's things that the, the children remember. So we have this uh, annual program and we honor the the honorees and we invite some of the campers to introduce them. So we're giving them grown-up responsibility. And these are young children. And they're able to stand up in front of an audience full of people yeah, I've seen it. and calmly introduce their role model. And we've had many adults say, I don't know if I could have done that. But a part of our summer camp experience is teaching our children to speak, to command in a room. If you know what you're going to talk about, that's not a problem. And we try to help them to be comfortable in being before people and speaking in their minds. This is valuable uh, for a lot of reasons at different levels, one of which is helping young people to not just fixate on celebrities, Mm -hmm. but to recognize in your midst role models, people that are closer to you than a celebrity. Now, we don't diss celebrities. Correct. But we're saying that you've got people around you who are very valuable and helpful. The Bible says, Paul made a statement, he said that, uh, those who seem to be something added nothing to me. <laughs> All right, so mm-hmm. so that's an important lesson. You mentioned about taking kids and they tour the city. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to some young people about IUPUI campus. They didn't know that part of the campus was the heart of the black community many years ago, some decades mm-hmm. ago. Matter of fact, my, my granddad's church is was on the exact spot where the School of Informatics is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can walk out outside the building about 20 steps and paces, and I'm right on my granddad's church set uh, at IPY campus. So the black legacy is, is, you know, we've been kind of pushed out to the march, or we feel marginalized, but really we're a major part of this city. Talk about Freetown Village in terms of the vision of an actual village. That has always been part of my vision was to see a place that was. That's why it's called a Freetown Village. And let me explain the main the name. Throughout Indiana there were about forty to sixty different African American communities. And they were scattered throughout the state. Most of them were along the southern part of the state, but these were free communities, free towns. And they moved into these towns to be free, to establish their own identity, economic independence, etc. I always saw that being recreated as a place for our people to be, to learn, and feel comfortable. And it becomes a destination. I see it now. Um, the concept has evolved as more of a cultural and economic destination where we have a museum, we have a cultural center, but it's also an opportunity for business owners to be. Uh, One of the problems that we have with our black businesses is that they're scattered. You have one across town, one over here, one over there. And unless you really are in the know, you don't know where they are. And sometimes they're kind of out of the way. 
and you have to make a special trip to go to where they are. Yet the black businesses, sometimes we don't know really where they are. But if they are in a central place, a common place where there are several of them, then you can go from door to door, down the street, up and down the area, and find just whatever you want. I think of it kind of like uh, French Quarter in New Orleans. You just get in the area and you can find most of what you want. Uh, Bill Street in Memphis, yes. wherever there is a place where it's walking. If we have our churches, our schools, housing, restaurants, stores, shops, uh, entertainment, in a close proximity along with the history and the culture of a museum. Of course, we would have the village of Freetown where we would have the performers in costume presenting many of our productions. It's also a place that can be rented for other theater companies. And um, even I see as the Freetown Village Church, we would use it as a performance, but it'd be a perfect place for people who wanted a, a venue for a wedding. It has that kind of unique feel to it. So that has always been the plan, the concept to have that. Now, it's been like gathering hen's teeth to get the money, find the locations. Like every time we get a location, Big Bear comes along, grabs it up, takes it away. It's like, gosh, that was so perfect for us. And then something has always happened. But I'm a believer. I have faith. I really believe that someday soon, We'll have that space. It'll become available. It'll be affordable. And it becomes a place where there's safety. There's the culture. Many of our young children don't have an experience in our culture. If they live in the boroughs, they live in an isolated area, they go to a school that's predominantly white school, there's no place for them to be immersed in who we are. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like in between trying to understand who we are as a people, who other people are, and blend in. But once people really understand and embrace our history and our culture, that's a real sense of pride and confidence. And I think it would do a lot to cut down on the ills of our community, the crime, the violence, and so forth, because you have a sense of self, a sense of purpose, a, a sense of destiny. And you don't want that to be interrupted with some nonsense. You're better than that. So it's a place, it's a safe place and a secure place that we need to to, to manage. We have senior citizens. I'm one of them now. They used to be those people. Now I'm right. one of those people who have information and knowledge mm-hmm. to share with the younger generation. Yes. And I think some younger people need to feel that security of a mature person who will value them and encourage them. And sometimes, even as teenagers, they need somebody who will talk to them or just listen to them. Listen is probably more than talking to find out. So we can nurture each other. We really are nurturing people. We are. We think about a lot of the things that have happened where um, there's violence or harm done to a person or a person's family member, and they say, I forgive them. They're going, other people say, oh, never, I wish they burn in hell. But right. we tend to say, I forgive them because that's our nature. We'll take you in. I mean, we'll take anybody in. And I mean, who, who shows any type of, of concern or contrition or need. That is our culture. You mentioned um, about how knowing our history or being around older African-Americans and how we can impart what we know, but also impart our values and I thought about the value of black history itself. 
Talk about the value of learning and knowing black history. Is it just something, facts from the past, or is there some value in the present? Oh, it's both. Mm -hmm. It's really both. When we learn about the, the obstacles that we as a people have overcome, and we're still here. And I think white people need to understand those who are racist in their beliefs, believe that they, for some reason, are superior, um, we're never going to give up. We will always fight for our freedom. It's always going to be a fight. Yes. And so, as a country, are we going to spend every day of our life fighting, or we have to realize we're going to, we're going to figure out how to work together so we can all live and breathe and have our being? But when you understand what we have done then and now, it gives you a sense of pride and a step back. So when people say things that are demeaning, you realize, oh, that's not us. You're the one with the problem. Mm -hmm. And you just deflect it and you go on doing what you need to do. But you don't take it personally and become um, oppressed behind it. And also the important thing is knowledge. You have to understand, as we say in some of our scripts, you have to understand the laws. You have to understand processes. You have to have information. So when people come acting crazy, you don't get in the weeds with it. You listen to them. You let them have their peace. And then you go on and do what is the right thing because you know better. Or you know how to go and get some information to stand up for what is right. So true. I think as the mamas have coined the phrase, when they go low, we go high. Mm -hmm. And that's really been our history. It's more than just a cliche. That's been how we've made it through. And uh, with wisdom and, as you say, we're going to fight for our freedom. Always. And uh, we're not going to tolerate or we're not going to allow ourselves to be limited from what God has given us. In our country, black people were demeaned and made to be three-fifths of a man and all this. And, and yet that same constitution... Black folks saw hope in the same document and, and, and in the Bible. People use the Bible, curse mm -hmm. of Ham, that kind of foolishness. And yet uh, black folks found hope in God. They connected to the living God, not to mm -hmm. the so-called Christian slave owners who weren't mm -hmm. Christians, but to the living God in Christ. Talk about then the, the value of faith and faith in God and, and, and what that meant to us as a people. To even add to that, when somebody comes up and tries to devalue you, say you're three-fifths of a human, you're thinking, okay, where did that come from? And why are they doing that? So you start thinking, like you play chess, you have to think, why? what's the advantage to them trying to demean me? Okay, then I'm a threat to them. So they're trying to devalue me to discourage me. Mm. And you don't take that in. Anytime somebody comes up with some crazy law, you're trying to think, hmm, What's the real story behind that? Why are they doing that? And you just get information, you go around and let them stand there believing what they want to believe, mm -hmm. but you know what is the real objective. Yes. They're trying to discourage you. Yes. And if that's all the information you take in, you'll believe it. And if you believe it, you'll internalize it and you become exactly what they want you to be. Mm -hmm. You go around it, you know more, think, okay, let them keep that to themselves and I'm going to go over here and build my own castle. Because that's where they are, but that's not where I am. And I'm not going in that boat with them. But it's, again, when we read the scriptures, you have to, it has to make sense. And sometimes I'll read 
and doesn't make sense, I get a different translation. And after reading several different translations, so okay, that's what that meant. But even praying about it, and you have to believe God did not create us to be the boot of somebody else. We're created in his image. He, he loves us. He intends for us to have life and, and life more abundantly. We had to grab hold of that. So, yes. okay, well then how are we going to deal with this guy? You don't get entangled in the weeds. It's somebody else's weeds. You have to understand that's their problem. Yes. That's not mine. It's not mine. That's their reality. And some of them believe it to their death, but it's not, it's not our reality. And I know a lot of people will get upset and angry and want to lash out emotionally. When you get emotional, you lose control. You lose confidence. Yes. You lose focus. So you have to stay collective. As a, a cheer we used to sing back in high school, be calm, be cool, and be collective. <laughs> you have to be calm, be cool, and collective and keep your wits about you as you understand there's always a strategy. If it's something doesn't vibe with you, and we say in our Holy in our spirit, you say it's not right. Then there's a reason why somebody's acting crazy. It's a reason why they're doing that. Right? Why would you not want children to have a good education? Why would you want someone not to have good health care? <laughs> It's not because they don't deserve it. It's because you don't want them to deserve it. Right. You don't want them to be healthy. You don't want their numbers. You don't want their success. So you undermine it. And some of these things go so deep. There's this one um, program called uh, Undoing Racism. And it talks about how racism is embedded in every institution of our society. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, gosh, it goes back centuries. Yes. But it's all planned. So that we are fighting every step of the way, trying to be successful. And sometimes not really understanding, we're just scraping the surface of something that's really, really deep. Well, it's as deep as Genesis 9, 25, thereabout, when the Bible talks about Noah woke up from his wine and saw what Ham had done, which nobody knows what he did. It says, cursed be Ham. And then that was interpreted to be cursed as black people. But Ham had four sons. And uh, he said, well, he said cursed be Canaan is what he said. People always say the curse of Ham. He said, no, he said cursed be Canaan. He didn't say cursed be Ham. But that's been intentionally misinterpreted to, to make it look like that black folks are servile people. There was nothing in what, in what Noah said that pertained to, to Ham's descendants. But more than that, here's the point people really miss. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it said, God blessed Noah and his sons. So no matter what Noah said, waking up drunk. <laughs> it's amazing. They actually took that, take what uh, a man with a hangover said mm-hmm. over what God said. So it's kind of the root. It's part of the root of how we have been treated worldwide. You know what I think also about Cain and Abel? Who committed the first murder? Right. Cain. Mm-hmm. Why? He was jealous. Why couldn't he just pull up himself and do better? Yes. And that's the same spirit that's in our culture today, that Cain spirit, where the jealousy. Yeah. I'm not going to try to be better. What I'm going to do is try to keep you from being better. Right. So 
I think that spirit really has hampered a lot, and it continues today. Yes, which is why, I mean, we're talking about Freetown Village. We're not, we're not preaching here, but we do know that our history is rooted in Christ and the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible tells us, as you said, life and that more abundantly. Mm-hmm. And, and so that we, as a people, we don't function too well without God, without Christ. And evidenced by the spirit of Cain, that, that fratricide, you know, brother killing brother. And so those are, those are resolved, of course, through faith in God and education about who we are uh, in Christ, who we are in this nation. So I want to thank you, Ophelia, on behalf of you know, our viewers, all of us who, who know about Freetown, many who don't know about Freetown. Uh, we appreciate your work thank and your you. expertise over these, over these many years. And have you ever tried to add up the audiences, the number of people that have been, is it possible do you have a thought oh, about how many yeah. people have been reached? Well, easily, it's been well over a million people. I'll say. And we say that, you know, in person and through the electronic media, yes. well over a million people. Mm-hmm. And um, we're probably close to a million and a quarter by mm-hmm. now. Yes. Uh-huh. But it adds up. And uh, we've been at all kinds of events over the years, whether it's been a parade or a festival, where there have been two, three, four thousand people in attendance at a yes. time. And that doesn't include what was electronic or on right, TV. Right, online. Yes, mm-hmm. we can't measure that. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Well, close. Let me ask you. You want to share anything else with our audience, uh, with the, with our viewers and listeners about Freetown? What's on your mind in this season of our of our lives? Well, we're always interested in people who want to be a part of Freetown Village, whether it's um, through a leadership capacity on our board, advisory board, um, even um, maybe staff or performers volunteers, people who have information and understand it's important for us to tell our story and to tell it in a way that people can understand and uh, want to be a part of this process. As we continue to build the village in Freetown, we're also looking for people who want to be a part of that. So if you want to be in part, let us know. Contact us. We'd be happy to share more information with you. Well, thank you so much, Ophelia, for being mm-hmm. here on Conversations in Focus. Thank you. It's okay. been fun. I've been speaking with Ophelia Wellington, the founding director of Freetown Village. I would encourage you to go to the website, become a member of Freetown Village, become a village member. You can just sign up and make a donation and, and be a part of supporting Freetown Village as they and we emerge from this pandemic with new ideas and, and ways to not only return to, to traditional programming, but find ways to leverage digital media as we're doing right here, right now. So God bless you. Thanks for watching, and you be encouraged, and have a great day.